When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, a Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. I am Ashley Bastock here with Mary Kay Cabot. Of course, Dan Lobby is on a well-deserved vacation this week. I am back from my vacation, which we're going to talk about in a little bit because we've got some questions about. But Mary Kay, we're going to start with some of our football questions first from our subtext football insider subscribers. Um, So this first one comes from Rick from Orlando. He says, hey, Mary Kay and Ashley, appreciate the Olsen Twins reference from you, Rick. (laughs) As you may have noticed, the Brown seasons don't always play out as well as we fans expect, and this year we're more optimistic than ever. Excluding the season-ending injury to a key player, what aspect of the team do you maybe worry has the potential to not live up to fans' expectations this year? You know, I think the only thing that could derail this is if Deshaun isn't what Deshaun is supposed to be. If he's not the Deshaun Watson that everyone expects him to be. If that, for some reason, just doesn't come together the way that it did. I find it hard to believe that he would just lose his ability uh, to play football, that he would lose his ability to be an elite quarterback after those 700 days off. But a lot of things have to come come together. Uh, he's never really played in outdoor, inclement weather all of that much. He's never played for Kevin Stefanski all of that much. This is a new supporting cast for him. It's a very, very difficult division. I mean, these defenses are tough. These defenses come to play and they don't mess around. So I think that's the only thing that could derail it is that for for whatever reason, uh, Deshaun doesn't live up to expectations, but I think he will. I think the signs are there. I think the supporting cast is there. I think Kevin's ready to call it for him. And I think he's ready to do the work. Yeah, that was kind of my thinking. And it's also like, if he doesn't, it's not even just like for me, if he doesn't live up to expectations, because kind of like you, I feel like he's on the right track, but it's like, if he doesn't jump to those expectations quickly enough, given the three division games in the first four, like that was kind of my first thought. And then I was also just wondering, and I know we've talked about this a little bit and I brought this up like with the new pass catchers, right? Like we all think that's going to look good. I have super high expectations for them, but you just kind of start to thinking like, well, if, if injuries go wrong, for example, right, that receiver room could look different pretty quickly, especially because we know DeAndre Hopkins is likely not going to be coming here from your reporting. Yeah, you know what? I think the fact that Amari Cooper went out and had the core muscle surgery, um, you know, makes me feel a lot more confident for the Cleveland Browns about them having a good receiving core. If he had not done that surgery, I think I would have been concerned for them about him re-injuring that because, you know, when he did that down the stretch last season, he was not himself thereafter. He really struggled to run. And, you know, if you take that away from a receiver, then, you know, you're really literally basically taking their legs 
out from underneath them. So the fact that he had that core muscle surgery, I think really bodes well for his future. I think he's really ready to go. Uh, I think so far, Elijah Moore has looked really, really good. I think that, you know, we sort of all expect him to have this natural chemistry with Deshaun. So far, we're seeing that. Of course, it's easy to have that in non-padded practices with no contact, but uh, he seems to have it. They seem to have their their mojo down, and I think that has the potential to be really good. Uh, and then, of course, Marquise Goodwin, your vertical stretch guy. I It seems like it's going to come together. Uh, again, it all has to come together under the right conditions. It has to be good from a, you know, offensive standpoint versus the defenses in the AFC North. Kevin Stefanski really has to make sure uh, that he is allowing Deshaun Watson to do the things that he does really well. I know he intends to do that, but intending to do that and having it play out on the field, you know, sometimes those are two different things. So it could be a little bit of a work in in progress early. And as you mentioned, Ashley, when you've got three AFC North games in the first four, you don't have time for a learning curve. You don't Mm -hmm. have time to figure out how Elijah Moore is going to respond on the scramble drill. You don't have time to figure out if David Bell has taken taken his game up a notch. You don't have time to determine if Anthony Schwartz has something to offer this year. I mean, you've got to hit the ground running. You've got to be ready to go. Another thing is Nick Chubb catching the ball more out of the backfield. Like That's got to go well, too. If he's going to be that guy, and I do think he's going to be that guy just based on talking to Stump at minicamp, Stump Mitchell, You know, they are going to expect Nick to be able to do that more, and he's got to come through. So all these things have to come together in the passing game. Yeah, and I feel like along those lines with Nick Chubb, like I feel like we saw him do more of that in minicamp, right? And like not even just like in 11-on-11s or 7-on-7s, but just working off to the side with coaches and and catching and those little – getting those drills in whenever he could. So I thought thought that was really interesting, but – you know, we got another question kind of along these lines, and I love this is so Browns fans to me. Where are you know these fans? I feel like just always hope for the best in any off season, but want to prepare themselves for what could go wrong. Um, so this one comes from Ronnie Butcher in Chapmanville, West Virginia. He says, "Hey Mary Kay, there's a lot of confidence that the Browns will have a winning season that could result in a playoff berth." But as you've stated, it only will happen if we see more of the 2020 version of Deshaun Watson and not the 2022 version in those last six games. So aside from Deshaun Watson and Miles Garrett, who is another player that you would pinpoint that's essential to the Browns being able to make the postseason? You know, I'm going to go ahead and say Elijah Moore, because I do think that Amari Cooper, we know what he's going to give the Cleveland Browns. Uh, We pretty much have, have a good idea that he's going to be that reliable pass catcher, that he's going to go out there, he's going to make that tough catch, and he's going to do all those kinds of things. Elijah Moore was sort of the, you know, the the X factor, the guy that they brought in that made someone like DeAndre Hopkins, you know, expendable, that didn't need a DeAndre Hopkins because they went out and the big shiny new piece they added to their receiving core was Elijah Moore. They didn't spend a lot for him. They only traded down from number 42 to number 74. Um, But, you know, he's sort of the guy that they are counting on to make this look a little bit different in the passing game. So I'm going to say Elijah Moore, uh, I I think he can be a key to making this offense pop. Yeah, I mean, he to me is like the what they were missing last year. And I've kind of said that about all the pass catchers they've added. Like to me, they, you know, him, Marquise Goodwin, 
um, Jordan Aiken, Cedric Tillman, like they all add something a little different than what was in that room. But I think we all know, knowing what they gave up for Elijah, right, in, in a second round pick, and he was a better player, I think, than they were going to get at that stage of the draft. Like he, it is really key because you went out, you basically used him as your second round pick and think that he can provide something. But I think so much of it is kind of intangible with that scramble drill stuff, which we've been talking about. Yeah, and, you know, he's shown it. He showed tremendous promise as a mm-hmm. rookie when he went out there and, and caught five touchdown passes, and it seemed like he was going to be on a trajectory of 1,000-yard seasons, seven touchdown catches, 100 receptions. And that is certainly where the Browns would like him to end up, and I think he's got the potential to do that. I think they're going to have the ball a lot more than they did. I think there's going to be enough to go around. And it's just going to be a matter of Deshaun figuring out uh, who his favorite targets are. Who are his go-to guys? Where does he like to go with the ball? Uh, You know, he's going to go to the open man. He's going to, uh, you know, he's going to take what's there. But you always develop sort of your favorites. And, uh, And I think it's going to be interesting to see if Elijah becomes one of those guys. I think he will, um, but you never really know until you get it out on the grass. Yeah, and I think for me, before this question, my runner-up, I think the receiving portion of this is so, so, so important with this offense. But I think my runner-up, I would say kind of like anyone on the defensive line that's not Miles Garrett. Like You could say Zadarius Smith and make this easier, but I think defensively what we learned from last year is that Miles needs some help rushing the quarterback to not only take some pressure off of him, but so that they, you know, like we've talked about, Mary Kay, that they need to have multiple double-digit sack guys on this defense. Absolutely, 100%. And I would definitely say that Zadarius is the other big-name player uh, that the Browns are going to need to step up big. If we took if we took Deshaun out of the equation and we took Miles out of the equation and we weren't allowed to answer those guys, then I think Zadarius is your guy on defense uh, that's going to have to come in here and really make this thing go. Uh, he can take so much pressure off of Miles. He can get so much pressure on the quarterback. And if he returns to his form, if he returns to the form that he has displayed over the previous three seasons, he should be a double-digit sacker. And I think he has new life breathed into him. He's got his $11.75 million guaranteed. He's someone that is sort of motivated by money. And now he's also got the opportunity to go out there and make that kind of money again. So it's basically a contract year for him. You're keeping him hungry. You're keeping him you know, not only maybe chasing a Super Bowl or chasing an NFL Defensive Player of the Year award, but chasing another contract. And some mm-hmm. guys are really motivated by that in a contract year. So I think that's a good dynamic to have with him. And I think the opportunity is really there for him and Miles to have some nice synergy together and, and to really make some cool things happen up there on that line. I know he certainly struck me as having that energy when we got to talk to him in, was that OTAs, I think? I think he was one of the first we heard from in OTAs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially knowing, I know we've talked about this on the podcast, like not necessarily knowing what we were going to get from him, like media relationship wise, because he has typically been a player who has been quieter or less willing to talk throughout his career. But I thought he opened up like quite a bit and was was very honest about, you know, his goals and why he has them. And I thought you could just kind of sense that personality and that kind of edge coming off of him a little bit. Yeah, and he was fun to talk to. And again, you know, I had heard from several people that he can be a little bit challenging when it comes to talking to the media. Now, sometimes as guys 
end up in different markets, that also changes. Sometimes they might have an issue with a guy or two in a certain market uh, or a, a female or two in a certain market and they kind of shut down a little bit. Or maybe it's, you know, just the market itself lends itself to a different media vibe. But I think for the most part here, there's a, a pretty positive pretty positive media situation that goes on uh, with the players. They usually are pretty good about opening up and, and giving a lot at those pod in those podium interviews. And that's how Zadarius was. I mean, he just let it rip. He was, he was fun to talk to. Uh, he showed a lot of personality. He was very dynamic. He answered everything that we had for him. And, you know, maybe it's the honeymoon period. You know, may maybe it won't last. We'll, you know, we'll have to see how that goes. But um, some of the bigger name guys on the team like Miles, you know, they sort of set the tone for that. And Miles is great with us. He's always been been great with us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when when you have your alpha dog leader that that does that, then it kind of trickles down sometimes. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, I have a couple questions about two specific guys that I know you and Dan discussed some last week in their roles. And um, I'm interested to hear more about them. So we will be right back after this short break. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, a Hey Mary Kay edition. I'm Ashley Bastock here with Mary Kay Cabot. So Mary Kay, like I said before the break, I know you guys talked about these two guys, but I think they're maybe worth diving into a little bit more. This question comes from Greg in Indianapolis. He says, hey, Mary Kay, do you feel Demetric Felton will make the team? And how much could he potentially contribute on situational drives like in third and longs? You know, it's a really good question. I think that Demetric Felton heads into this training camp kind of on the bubble. And it's going to be up to him to really state his case and prove that he deserves a spot on this football team. And he's been a little bit lost because uh, he has straddled two positions, receiver, running back. For the most part, he's been a receiver up to this point. Now he's kind of jumped over into the running back room because there's more of a need for it. Uh, so now he, he's got an opportunity to say, okay, uh, there's a surplus over there. There's a need over here, and I am going to try to fill it. So that's what he's got to do. He has to show that he can get some tough yards. He's got to show that he can catch the ball out of the backfield, maybe contribute on special teams. If he could do those things, there could be a spot for him. If not, they are definitely going to keep their eyes peeled for another running back because they need someone that can spell Nick Chubb, that can spell Jerome Ford, and in a pinch, if they had to have it, can go out and rush for 100 yards the way that Dearness Johnson had to a couple times. So I think that Demetric is on the bubble right now, but he's got a chance. It's up to him. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I feel like when we've seen him out there and just like common sense kind of dictates, given how crowded that receiver room has gotten, that like this is the time for him to switch back to his kind of his original position. And yes, like I know the, the Demetri Felton watch has been a thing in training camp the last couple of years and see which position group is he with. But I remember Stump Mitchell talking last year, you know, about him and being like, hey, you know what, ideally for a guy's development, sure, like most guys are going to have one spot that they can really learn and hone in on. But for Dimitrik, his strength happens to be his versatility. And I think if anything, if you see him kept around and he makes this roster, I think that versatility is going to be exactly why. Yeah, I think so. I mean, versatility is such a buzzword for this whole entire coaching staff. And, uh, you know, especially now, I would say probably more so defensively. But certainly, if you can have a guy that can play those multiple positions, that can go in and fill in for any number of guys, you can make yourself invaluable. You can make it so they can't part with you because there could come a day 
where you really could come in handy. So that's what it's incumbent upon him to do right now. So we also got a specific question about a guy on the other side of the ball from Jack Coleman in Marble Hill, Georgia. He says, hey, Mary Kay, what are your thoughts on Isaiah McGuire? Will he make the regular rotation and be a significant contributor for the Browns? You know, that is such a great question because, you know, they've got a lot of defensive ends and they certainly have uh, some young defensive ends that are still kind of finding their way in such as in Alex Wright. So I, you know, I do think that they really like Isaiah and they would like to have him on the 53 man roster. And I don't know that he's a guy that you can take a chance on keeping him off the 53-man roster and trying to get him onto the practice squad without somebody swiping him out from underneath you. So I, I think that he's got a good chance of, of making the 53. You want to see what these young guys can do before you lose them. So I'm, you know, I'm going to say 53 with him for now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, that's, that's just what you are probably going to have to do if you want to make sure you don't lose him. That's what I think. And it's like, I don't, though, expect him to be like a key contributor right away, mainly because I don't think he needs to be that. And I think like there's a recency bias, right? Because last year, due to the situation, Alex Wright and Isaiah Thomas, we saw them quite a bit for rookies. And like, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact, well, Jadavian Clowney was hurt. Plus, he didn't play as well as he did in 2021. Chase Winovich was hurt all the time and couldn't get healthy. And those were guys they had, you know, in that they thought could be essentially like two and three. And especially given their careers up until that point and because of injuries and, you know, other things in the case of Jadavian, it just didn't work out. And they needed a lot from those rookies. But I think with Isaiah McGuire, you know, he's interesting. You can let him develop. Um, the fact that he played against SEC competition, like that was a big deal for me when they drafted him was one of my takeaways when we were talking to people right after they drafted him and at rookie minicamp. Yeah. And the other thing that you can count on with him in the early going is to contribute in a big way on special teams. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, especially uh, with Bubba Ventrone and what he's expecting from his special teams this year and the excellent, excellent play uh, that he's expecting out of them, uh, you know, that's an opportunity for a young guy like an Isaiah McGuire to make his mark while he is learning the pro game. Because even if you do play against SEC competition, there is a leap, there is a step up that you have to take. And so it could take him a little while to, to figure out what he's doing. But also, let's remember, this is a simplified defense. I keep saying it over and over again. See quarterback, get quarterback. So, you know, guys that may have had a little bit of a slower start in the last couple of years or a little bit less production might be able to go in and do some pretty cool things right away. All right. We have one cool question that I wanted to get to because it kind of transitions us into our next topic. I don't think I've ever heard a question like this on a Hey on K-Pod before. And it comes from a regular um, question asker, Jamie in Bethany, Connecticut. Um, Well, the background first, when Mary Kay put her call out to our football insiders for their questions for her for this podcast. She mentioned that Dan was off. Of course, I am back. I did see Taylor Swift this past weekend, twice in Pittsburgh. Um, Mary Kay also mentioned she is getting ready to go to Adele in the coming months in Vegas. So lots of concerts here happening, concert goings happening here at the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, which we're going to get to more. But to get to Jamie's question, he says, Hey, Mary Kay, speaking of music and concerts, 
which Browns players over the years do you think have been the most musically talented um, between their passion for music or possibly evidence that they're actually really good at it? He mentions, you know, JOK sounds like he's got a voice on him, but is there anyone that you can think of from like pre-social media years, pre-Hard Knocks years that had that specific musical talent in them, or at least appreciation for music? Well, you know, one of the Browns' former draft picks, Chad uh, Chad Thomas, was uh, a musician. He was, he was a rap artist. Uh, so he was probably, you know, the most glaring example of someone who actually was making music his career and still is making music his career. Um, as far as other guys are concerned, Christian Kirksey played something, and I can't... He, you know what? It's funny, because Jamie mentioned that. He thinks he played the drums. Does oh, that yes. ring a bell? Is it the drums? Yes. He did yes. allude to Chad Thomas as well, so I'm, I'm sorry, Jamie, to cut those off. I just went with the current ones. But yes, the, the drums, that, that hit me. I remembered that. Yeah, there was, there was Christian with that. And then it's funny because, uh, you know, a number of, of the guys on the team can actually dance. We know they can dance yeah. because we, we see them dance all the time. So we do see that. As far as singing, I'm sure a lot of them can sing. At least they um, think they can sing, probably. Or at least they can think they can <laughs> sing. And now, I, I will also say that maybe by osmosis, Amari Cooper's picking some things up because over his birthday week, weekend, he was hanging out with 50 Cent and, yeah. a little, and little Baby. Mm-hmm. So he, uh, he kind of rubs shoulders with some people in the music industry, as a lot of them do. Um, and so who knows, maybe Amari has some talents that we don't know about. Yeah. And we do know on this current team too. I mean, these, this is, I think probably more, more well known for fans. Um, Alex Wright played the saxophone. He was very good in band and it sounded like he had to come back to football because he had actually been so focused on band, um, throughout his early high school years. And Dalvin Tomlinson plays a bunch of different instruments and and does art. He's very into that stuff. I, I can't even remember all the instruments that Dalvin plays off the top of my head. I know he dabbles in piano at least, but there's, it's, it's multiple instruments. Yeah, well, maybe they can put on a little show down at the Greenbrier, uh, and we'll just <laughs> we'll we'll commission that. We'll have a little uh, entertainment night. That would be fun. All right. Well, there were a handful of Connecticut's about the Taylor Swift concert experience. So um, I know we got one from Ken from Florida who just asked me to kind of recount the Swifty experience, um, and then we got one from Tom from Middlebury, Connecticut, who did go to one of her Gillette shows as well at Gillette Stadium earlier on this tour. And he wanted to know, hey, Mary Kay and Ashley, which Taylor Swift era suits you best? So I thought we could answer that before we dive into her concert experience. Um, For me personally, I always like to think I'm a reputation girl. I mean, that's like my favorite album from hers. I love the look. And as Mary Kay and I have talked about, we've gotten questions about our clothes. We both wear a ton of black clothing. That is peak reputation era for me. I love the attitude of that era. We've been showing it off in the way I'm talking right now, I feel like. So that's my answer. But Mary Kay, do you have a particular album or era? You know what? Reputation would be it for (laughs) me, too. I've got such fond memories of going to that concert uh, at Cleveland Brown Stadium, and I was just jonesing. You know what? (laughs) I don't know why I didn't try to get 
tickets to the Eras Tour, I, I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, it's been really, really hard for me to see all of this and to not be going. But my daughter did inform me today that she is expanding mm-hmm. uh, internationally, the the Eras Tour. So now I'm thinking, you know, I need I need another really good excuse to go to Europe. Uh, yeah, I, I this love, is it. I love Europe. So it's an opportunity to, uh, and then also my, my daughter is going to be over in Europe. She's going to be touring with a circus company um, in a show called Blizzard. And so she's going to be over in Europe. I don't know when, um, when Taylor Swift is going to be over there, but Celeste mm-hmm. is going to be touring Europe from like October to through, I think, December. Uh, so she's going to be in France, Switzerland, and um, did I even tell you that, Ashley? She's going to be in, I think I did, France, yes. yeah, France, Switzerland, and uh, and the Netherlands. So maybe I can time it up. Actually, that's not my time of year yeah. to be able to travel, unfortunately. But no. um, but, some, <laughs> but somehow, so, or, or I was thinking, you know, maybe so it'll true. time up well with the Browns game next year, right? Yeah, maybe. maybe. There maybe could the, be some possibility for that. Yeah, maybe the Browns will be in London and Taylor will be there mm-hmm. too and we can kill two birds with one stone. But somehow I need to get to the Eras Tour. Yeah, and I mean, I'll just say in terms of the experience going, I did write a column about it today because in my head I'm like, you know, our brains never truly shut off from work. And I'm just like, you know, going to all these places that I've been to when we cover games in Pittsburgh. Um, and it just was such a different experience. And I think it most things in life I'm not like overly – excited about or like like I don't get my expectations super high and I kind of went into this assuming like well maybe these people just don't like a lot of her fans the the crossover between being an NFL fan and a Taylor fan maybe it's not that large and people are just not used to experiencing stadium-sized crowds I will say this was like unlike any other kind of stadium event I've been in I know in my story I mentioned like specifically intense like Browns games I've been at been to in person you know I've gotten to go to Lambeau Field on Christmas Day I didn't even touch on like covering college athletics I've been to Ohio State Michigan games at both stadiums like nothing quite compared to this like this total I don't know it's like it's just a spectacle that's the only word I can think of it it's not a show she performs for three and a half hours um it's the fact that it was so hard to get tickets we were lucky to get tickets at face value during the pre-sale um, because these tickets sell for thousands of dollars a piece secondhand now. It's kind of bananas. Um, so it's just even like the appreciation of being there. And and truly, I mean, they broke an attendance record at AccraSure Stadium, which think about all the big Steelers games, even just in like the last 15 years. Um, that is crazy to me. So I definitely think it lives up to the hype. And Mary Kay, you should go. Anyone else who's been on the fence about going um, or even just kind of keeping an eye on the resale market, I definitely recommend you you do it because it's so much fun and worth going. Well, let me ask you this. So did you go to the Reputation Tour in, in yes. 2018? Okay. Yes. So was this like way better? Was it just so much better or were they this, you know, kind I mean, of similar? Yeah, it's like they were, I think for me, I love the Reputation Tour. That's again, it's my favorite album. So it was my favorite tour. This is just so much longer. Like the Reputation Tour was probably like two hours. She performs three and a half hours and sings over 40 songs. So that to me is just like why it makes it better. Because you're basically taking a journey throughout her albums with her. And it's like you hear it's kind of it's not like a greatest hits tour either. Like she plays so many deep cuts that are fan favorites. She does play like some of her top singles, but 
it's just it's it's incomparable i think to any of her other tours even though i also really enjoyed them and i I thought at the time like the reputation tour will never be top this is my favorite album how could she ever outdo this but she managed to and that's why she's the phenomenon that she is in the music industry i think yeah you know what it's just it's it's really really interesting to uh you know to think about because i was just i was wondering about um with so many people that did not get a chance to experience this now that everybody's seeing how amazing it is, I just have to believe, and she has no plans to do this right now, but I just feel yeah. like she's just leaving way too many unsold tickets I'll out there agree. in the United States. Right. I mean, like yeah. Cleveland, Cleveland yes. could sell out. Cleveland could easily sell out. Absolutely. Me. Madison square gardens could sell out 10 dates the way Harry Styles did. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's so I many. So agree. There's so many fans that would still love to see this. So I'm I'm holding out hope. I'm trying to manifest uh, yes. some more United States dates. I don't know and, if it'll happen, but I'm manifesting. And you've heard it here first. Like, how could she not want to play in Cleveland, the home of rock and roll, right next to the Rock Hall, which she has made reference to in the past when she has played here. So I am with you. I'm going to hold out hope that we get somehow that the Aerosaur expands like to another year or something. And, yes. and we get a Cleveland's a Cleveland date here because I just think it would be fabulous. And and why not? Cleveland fans would, I, I have full confidence Cleveland fans could sell out three days, and, you know, two for sure. Definitely three in my mind too. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it reminds me of, you know, Elton John's farewell tour. Yes. I thought I was going to Elton John's farewell tour, but the farewell tour went so well that he had another farewell tour. So I didn't exactly. really go to the farewell tour. So, so she's got to come. We need exactly. her. Exactly. Come on, Taylor. Come on, Taylor. You can do it. Listen to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We need <laughs> our advice for your, your touring schedule. All right. So we are going to leave it here. Uh, we will come back with a second part of Hey Mary Kay uh, in tomorrow's pod as well. Be sure to head on over to cleveland.com. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. That's how you'll get to become one of our football insider subscribers. Uh, you'll get texts from all of us. You can submit questions to Mary Kay for these podcasts, but typical insider information you're not going to get. You also get a newsletter inside of your inbox every day when you do that um, and access to all of our subscriber exclusive content on our website as well. Also check out our YouTube page, Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. Until then, Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds great.